This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And we're excited because the college baseball season is upon us. Uh, Of course, the top 100 draft prospects list that we put out back in December is chock full of college draft prospects. So we will take a look ahead at the opening of the college season with that context of some top prospects that will be getting their seasons underway. We're also going to have the uh, greatly anticipated and partially promised, we weren't sure it was going to happen, but it, in fact, did our interview with our first Hall of Famer on the show, Andre Dawson. Uh, this coming weekend, as part of the opening of the college baseball season, the Andre Dawson Classic taking place in New Orleans, and the MLB4 tournament taking place in Scottsdale, Arizona. Got a couple of games from each of those tournaments broadcast on MLB Network. Uh, Jim will be a part of the MLB4 broadcast, so we'll take a look at both of those. And we'll wrap up, as we always do, by answering a question from the mailbag. So, guys, it's getting uh, it's getting real now. We're, we've been dealing with the 2022 draft prospects for months now. Um and now it's going to be time to see some of these guys in action. When we put out the top 100 draft prospects list back in December, I believe it was a breakdown of 57 college players versus 43 high school players. Um, I think for me anyway, when I think about the list, the first thing that jumps to mind is all the, the high school bats. And, and I think because they are at the very top of the list, when I think of the top 100 draft prospects list from this year, it's those high school names that, that come to mind. But there are more college players than than high school players on this list. And in fact, six of the top 10 uh, are college players. And you have those top three prep players uh, at one, two, three. But then nine of the next 10 are collegiate players. So we do have uh, some high caliber draft prospects uh, from the college ranks. Yeah, I, and I think too that the fact that those three high school players are pretty special. You know, you got Drew Jones, the son of Andrew Jones, who could be all sixes and sevens across the board, and Termar Johnson, who's you know maybe the best pure high school hitter in recent memory, and Elijah Green, who's got like crazy tools. He's one of the best uh, tooled up athletes we've seen come out of the high school ranks in recent years. It overshadows. This is a really, really deep crop of college bats too. Um, you know whether you're talking Jacob Berry at LSU or Brooks Lee at Cal Poly or Jace Young at Texas Tech, Brock Jones at Stanford, Chase DeLotter at James Madison, you go on and on. We might see 10 or 12, and I might be light, it might even be a couple more than that, college bats taken in the first round. So I, I think it's the deepest uh, pool of college bats who could go in the top, you know, in the first round, top 50 picks that we've seen in, in quite a while. 
I, I just think they kind of get overshadowed by those three very special high school position player talents. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's not like you're going that far, right? Jacob Berry is number four on that list, and I I, I think because of those those three high school bats, um, you know, you forget that the next. I mean, you just ticked off the next five guys on the list. It's five college bats after that, and it wouldn't surprise me if that your your estimate was late. I'll take the over just because, uh, you know, college bats tend if they perform, they'll. You know they'll move up boards, you know, pretty quickly, uh, because it, that's the probably lowest risk endeavor in the in the draft as a college hitter. So you know, and that's why this weekend is kind of exciting. Uh, and I think you know, scouts that we talk to all the time are chomping at the bit. Yeah, there's been junior college games going on and things of that nature, but uh, th- this is when we, you know, we get to see, uh, you know, what happens. You know, Jacob Berry. He transferred to to LSU. Let's see what that looks like when when he gets there. Uh, even, even though LSU opens up against Maine, so it's not exactly a you know a, a huge challenge right there. Brooks Lee and Cal Poly they play Washington. Uh, Jace Young and Texas Tech are at, at a tournament. We were playing in the Texas Rangers ballpark. So uh, there's a lot of exciting action where we're we're gonna start seeing and get some early returns on who these guys are we haven't seen, you know, maybe since the summer, some we haven't seen from, from last year. And moving on down the list, um, Jonathan, you mentioned Jace Young, Brock Jones at Stanford is number seven, Chase DeLauder, James Madison, number eight. Uh, then we have the high school right-hander Dylan Lesko at number nine, and then another run on college players and Gavin Cross outfielder from Virginia tech, Robert Moore, second baseman from Arkansas, Kevin Parada, Georgia tech catcher, and Blake Tidwell, uh, right-hander from Tennessee. So our first um, college pitcher there, which brings us to uh, sort of an interesting point that the college pitching ranks, you you guys were sort of lauding the uh, college bats, uh, but on the pitching side of things, last year, of course, you know, I think when people thought about college baseball in terms of draft, draft prospects, there was so much focus on the Vandy duo, Glider and Rocker. Um, this year, the college pitching ranks a little beaten up or a lot beaten up uh, heading into the season. Yeah, I, I keep citing this stat that on, on this list right now, there's one healthy college pitcher who started a game in college in our top 41 players on this list right now. And that's East Carolina lefty Carson Wisnett, number 26. Because you, you mentioned Blade Tidwell as our highest ranked college pitcher. And he's got shoulder soreness, so he's not going to pitch the first couple weeks of the season. And, you know, they're not expecting that he needs surgery, but there's no timetable on his return either. Um, You know, they're hoping he can make a comeback like Garrett Crochet did a couple years ago in in, in 2020. But, you know, Connor Prelip at Alabama, who'd be in the running to go number one overall, had Tommy John last spring. He's not going to pitch this season. I think we may see him showcase what he can do on the side, kind of like how Quantrill did a few years back when he was at Stanford. Um, but, you know, we saw, you know, Peyton Paulette, who, who had been challenging Tidwell for being the top pitcher. He had Tommy John surgery. He got hurt last year, tried to avoid surgery. He couldn't. Reggie Crawford from Connecticut looked really intriguing in a, in a short look over the summer. He's a two-way guy at Connecticut, but he had Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, Kumar Rocker doesn't technically count as a college pitcher right now, but he's more college than high school, obviously. He will not return to Vanderbilt and 
will probably showcase what he can do, but there's obviously health questions around him after not signing with the Mets. And even a guy like, like Henry Williams at Duke, who was making a push to go in the first round, especially with these other guys, you know, getting hurt. He had Tommy John surgery. So it's, I, I can, I can't remember a run like this where this many guys were hurt going into a se- This many of the top college arms were hurt going into a season. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't think it was a particularly deep college group to begin with. Uh, you mentioned some guys who could have, you know, gone at the top and invariably college arms also will float up if they perform, but with so many guys, you know, on the, on the shelf, I, you know, to me, the whole Landon Sims thing is fascinating because he is the one guy who, yes, we haven't seen him start a game, but I, I could see him sort of floating up, you know, towards the the top or at least the top of the college pitching group, depending on you know when that goes, you know, he hasn't started. He was so dominant last year for Mississippi state. Uh, you know, I'm very curious to see what he looks like when he is stretched out and starting. It worked for Will Bednar a year ago and he landed in the first round. Um, and I think Sims might, you know, was probably a, ahead of Bednar from this time a year ago, just in terms of what, people thought of him and his ability to, to, to pitch and, and get outs. So, I mean, at least that's my recollection, but uh, I, I'm, I'm really curious. He opens, uh, they Mississippi state opens against long beach state. Uh, so it'll be, you know, a, you know, a good opening, opening matchup. And just to see what it looks like when he's, you know, coming in to start a game instead of closing it. Yeah. And the thing that's interesting about him too, is, you know, he wasn't a one inning closer. You know, they used him two, three, several of his stints were multi-inning stints, you know, some three inning outings. He pretty much only pitched against, I think like SEC teams and ranked teams all year. They didn't use him very often midweek. I mean, he dominated, you know, the the best teams in the country. Um, And, you know, he didn't pitch in the fall. He pitched a lot last spring and, so nobody's seen his changeup in game action. I mean, he's got like his fastball slider co- combination are, are just really, really nasty. Um, but nobody's seen the changeup. Although when teams met with him in the fall, uh, you know, to kind of the, the, you know get to know a guy for the draft, um, he has confidence in throwing his changeup. Not that that I mean you have to throw it in games, but he's not just a two pitch guy. Like he's he's planning on on using a lot of changeups, and you know he's strong. You know, he's six foot two. Um, you know, when he, when he pitches longer outings, he's shown the ability to control his mechanics and, 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 you know, maybe dial, not, not dial his stuff down, but like pitch a little bit more in control. Um, so I'm with you, Jonathan, like he, you know, right now he's, he is our highest ranked healthy pitcher on the list uh, on the college ranks. Um, there's only two injured college pitchers ahead of him right now. Um, and if he has, you know, if he shows he can start, then he's going to go, I think he'll go really, really good. Looking back at last year uh, with Jaden Hill, who I think going in, did he get some some Did he have some early one one potential buzz, or it, he was at the very top of that class, right? Yeah, I mean, he. I, I think with with, with Jaden Hill, it was he had the potential to go one one. He wasn't quite there yet because he just hadn't pitched a whole lot between the pandemic and having some issues as a freshman, some health issues. He hadn't pitched a whole lot, but it was more, hey, if this guy shows he's healthy. Um, you know, he'll be in that mix. Is you know, he ended up going forty-four overall in the second round? Um, is a situation like that kind of is that a best-case scenario for guys 
like Paulette and Crawford that you're not going to see all year? Or is there is there a shot that these guys could could go higher without pitching this year? Well, I mean, Gunnar Hogland, who did pitch, went, was it 19th to the Blue Jays last year? Um, even though he had Tommy John like a month or so or, or two months before the draft. So I, I think these guys could go higher, Jonathan. I mean, you know, especially a guy like Connor Prelip who had the Tommy John last spring and he'll be able to pitch like when, when the draft rolls around, if you want to go out and have him pitch in the minors, he'll be able to pitch. Um, I, I could see him going in the middle of the first round. And I, I think part of it too depends on how many of these guys come back or, or do other guys emerge. Like if, if we have a situation where, let's say, you know, our list right now, we're saying that there's, we'll count Landon Sims, that there's two healthy college starters in the top 40 picks, then I think you'll see people, you know, rolling the dice on some of these guys, especially maybe in the competitive balance round when you're using your second pick. So I, I think we can see guys go higher than this, and especially Connor Prelip, who will be, you know, ready to pitch toward the end of the college season but won't. It'll be a Cal Quantrill situation. But he's, I mean, he would have been in the, in the running to go number one if yeah, he I hadn't think, been hurt. Yeah, I think the only thing that, like, holds these guys up is a lack of, of being seen, you know. So uh, him being able to come back and, even, you know, even if it's working out on the side, will will give at least a little peace of mind, you know, so I, I could see someone like him getting pushed up and, and, you know, I agree with you, Jim, overall, like, I think, you know, comp round makes sense, you know, maybe late first round if, if you're going to cut, cut a deal, but, you know, Connor Prelip has thrown 28 innings in college total, right? So it's not like there's a whole lot of track record. Reggie Crawford has thrown eight, eight innings in, in, in college, right? So I think people were kind of, he, he kind of, he was a two-way guy at, at UConn. And kind of jumped on the map with how he pitched over the summer, and people were excited. Well, we need to see what what this looks like, you know, as a as a, a big lefty who throws super hard, but we don't really know a whole lot about. And now they're not going to see him throw at all. So, you know, I, I can't imagine that a guy like that will go too early, even if you're cutting a deal, um, because no one really has any idea what he, what he is, you know, is he, can he start? Is he a relief pitcher? No one, no one really knows. So I, I think, you know, for these guys who got hurt last year, it's hard because in 2020 there was the shutdown. So they didn't pitch a ton. Not that scouts are really, you know, keying in on those guys, but at least you could go back and look at extensive video. And then 2021, they got hurt. So <laughs> there's not a lot to go on. Um, you know, even with Jaden Hill, he had some issues, but at least he had been on the mound, a, a you know, a little bit more, you know, comparatively. So I think it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays into teams decisions as, you know, as we move along here. These guys, um, when we put out the top 100 prospects list and, uh, we broke down the top tools on the pitching side of things, these guys' uh, names were all over the place. Um, best curveball. Paulette, best fastball, Crawford, best slider, Freelip. Um, so, you know, some of the very best tools in terms of uh, what these guys, the arsenal they bring to the mound uh, are among these, these uh, injured pitchers that we're talking about. Uh, some of the other best tools that we'll see in the college season this year, uh, you guys talked about Jacob Berry a little bit and rated him as having the best power in this class. Um, and then among college players, 
uh, best arm, Logan Tanner, catcher from Mississippi State, Nolan McLean, third baseman from Oklahoma State, um, and then some other pitchers. Uh, you guys talked about Landon Sims with a 70 slider uh, rating as, uh, among the best in the class. Uh, change up Wizen Hunt with a 65, and then a bunch of guys uh, with a control grade of 55, including Prelip Parker Messick of Florida State, Carson Palmquist of Miami, Jonathan Cannon, uh, right hander of George out of Georgia, and Justin Campbell from Oklahoma State. Um, but I guess the uh, the sexiest of those tools, guys, the uh, the power of Jacob Berry. Yeah, and I think he's a really good hitter too. He he's not just one of these guys who's who's swinging for the fences and can't hit. I mean, he's you know, he he's we obviously have him ranked 4th on the list. We have, he's our top-ranked college guy, but you know, some questions to where he winds up defensively. But he's a switch hitter who hits for power, hits for average, controls the strike zone, you know, handles and recognizes off-speed pitches well. Really good approach. Um you know, tremendous, <laughs> tremendous hire for LSU when they when they hired Jay Johnson away from Arizona, and then as a as a bonus, Jacob Berry winds up transferring to bat. You know, from Arizona to LSU along with the coach, um, and, and I think he's the best player in the country right now. I'm just salty because y- you took him from me. Um, it's was... payback for all your IMG guys. Yeah, maybe my, that's my, it. My, maybe. my states. This is a very top of the draft. It, it wouldn't surprise me if Jacob Berry ends up in in the conversation for number one overall pick. Um, even if there are questions about the, the defensive home, I think he's, he's going to be, you know, the kind of hitter where you think about it anyway, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, a Spencer Torkelson kind of talent where you're just like, wow, the hit, it, it's just the hit and power is so special. It, it doesn't matter. So if he goes out and has a monster season, he will very much be in the conversation with, those high school guys i think at the at the very top of the draft all right and part of this weekend's big kickoff of the college baseball season a couple of tournaments that uh, will be broadcasting games from on mlb network the mlb4 tournament and the andre dawson classic and we were fortunate enough to get a little time with the hall of famer andre the hawk dawson we're gonna take a quick break and we'll come back with that right after this on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. 
uh, Jonathan Mayo here. Very pleased to welcome in our, our next guest. I'm fairly certain it's the first time we've ever had a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, typically, we talk about you know prospects here, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about his days of, as a prospect a, a little bit. But uh, the one, the only Andre Dawson joining us right now. Andre, thank you so much for taking some time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So I want to start off with the Dawson Classic. It uh, starts on Friday, February 18th, runs the 18th to the 20th. Uh, University of New Orleans and the New Orleans Youth Academy is where it's taking place. This is the old, it used to be known as the Urban Invitational, and then they named it after you, uh, you know, a, a tournament of, of largely uh, HBCUs, uh, historically black colleges and universities. Um, what did it mean to you? Let's just start there. When Major League Baseball said, we want to name this tournament after you. Well, I was deeply honored, uh, if I must say so, uh, to be one of two individuals to uh, graduate from an HBCU, uh, Lou Brock being the other, and to be able to represent uh, the classic, the tournament itself. Uh, for me, it was, uh, I was reached out to by Major League Baseball and uh, I was just overjoyed. And uh, I'm honored, I feel deeply honored, you know, to be able to be in a position to uh, go forward with this and know that I have my name behind it. We'll dig into your time at Florida A&M. I know on Saturday on both MLB Network and on MLB.com, there will be two games from the tournament uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern Southern versus Jackson State. And then at six, it's Alabama State against your alma mater, uh, Florida A&M. I saw this is only the second time Florida A&M is in the, in the tournament. I would have to think now that this thing is named after you, they're going to have to be in this thing every year, right? Well, I've... Um looked at the, the head coach uh, and kind of glared at him. Uh, last year, of course, it was uh, it was put off because of the pandemic, but they came the year before. And the very first year they did to come, but I had to give him that look like, okay, it's a no-brainer now. You have to participate in this event each and every year, especially now that they're a member of the SWAT conference. I, uh, I remember seeing that glare during your playing days. I, I think I would uh, want to come too if uh, if I got the Andre Dawson Andre Dawson glare. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about you know the importance of an event like this. Uh, y- you know the the HBCUs don't necessarily get a ton of national attention in terms of uh, in terms of baseball. You know in, in terms of co- collegiate athletics overall. Uh, how important do you think this is? for for these schools for the student athletes who are who are there you know whether they're hoping to you know follow in your footsteps in terms of a professional career or not well for the most part uh, a few of them anyway they don't have the benefit of a scholarship and at least they get to play at this level and extend their playing career and who knows you know just who knows uh, what might become of it and then again, it gets the it gives the opportunity, I should say, for uh, the HBCU schools uh, to go out and to uh, pretty much uh, show showcase their talent, uh, their program, and you know again give these opportunities to these individuals to grow into community leaders. I want to go back, you know, to when 
when you played and, and obviously I think, you know, things have changed a bit and just in terms of being scouted at these schools, but, you know, you, you were there, uh, you know, in 1975, you ended up being an 11th round pick uh, of the Montreal Expos. But from what I've read, it didn't sound like scouts were constantly coming to, to your school or, or to, to scout you or, or anything like that. Well, if you read uh, Mel Didier's um, book, he had a, a small chapter in there that he dedicated to me. And uh, I won't really go as far as to say we weren't scouted because I, I did see unfamiliar faces in the stands at, time, at times. And uh, I all, all also saw Buck O'Neill on several occasions. And I just think that, you know, because we were uh, a, a smaller school, not, not really um, one of the major powerhouses, uh, we were a small uh, college, Division One, uh, MEAC, and we basically play, played in the um, SIAC later on uh, the MEAC conference. Uh, there was not a lot of uh, talent being brought out of Florida a and uh, When I think back, Hal McRae was the only player, I think, that got drafted, made it to the big leagues, made a name for himself. Moses McCray was a pitcher that was drafted by the Cardinals. Uh, there were other players that were given uh, minor league looks, but uh, that was pretty much it in a nutshell. And yes, we we look at that program since there were, now there have been individuals like uh, Marquise Grissom, uh, Vince Coleman, who have going on and who really made names for themselves at the big league level and obviously myself. And I can recall playing on a team where we uh, had an influx of freshmen coming in, five of which made the starting lineup. And we literally turned that program around, but I didn't, I didn't really get drafted. Uh, I should say I, I got drafted only after I went to college for three years. I didn't get a scholarship out of high school as a result of, a pretty serious knee surgery. And I look back at that opportunity uh, for me, I was a walk on. I had aspirations to play the game itself, but my grandmother wanted me to focus more or less on education. And I pretty much had that on my mind going forward, but in the, in the back of my mind, I just wanted to play baseball. I knew that I still had some good baseball left in me but I had that devastating injury that I had to deal with. Yeah. I read, I read the story about how you went to the the Royals baseball Academy tryout and your grandmother kind of said, no, no, you're, 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 you're going on to, to college. I guess now in retrospect, you can look back and be like, all right, grandma knew what she was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I, she was like my mentor growing up. I could talk to her about anything at any time. And I paid detail to whatever it is she had to say. My mom always would tell me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ride you as long as you don't get into any trouble. And I knew I couldn't get into trouble because I was the oldest of eight siblings and I had to look out for them. But my grandmother, uh, she just, you know, she was everything to me. And I just wanted to make sure that I pleased her first uh, by getting my education. She had two, three sons all of which attended Florida a and and, you know, they went on ahead and they got their degrees. And I was the only one from my immediate family that could follow in their footsteps. 
So was it, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing maybe it was because of the knee injury, but you, you know, you, you showed well at the, uh, at the Royals Academy. I know that uh, there were some people who tried to steer you to some of the, the bigger college programs in Florida, uh, you know, which weren't going to work for you. Was it because of the knee that they didn't kind of track what you were doing at Florida A&M? You know, I know you said you saw some bases, but it, from, from the stories that, that Mel Didier always talked about, no one really showed much interest in you. Was it because of the knee? At the college level, both junior colleges and the University of Miami, their scholarship allotment was up and they didn't have any room. And I had that distracted knee brace on, obviously. But I just, I, I knew that I, I, had, I had a lot of good baseball left in me, and I didn't want that to be uh, the end for me, uh, playing my senior year in high school and not ever playing the sport again. But like I said, I, I, I think I was told once that I was high. I, I should have been high on the Cubs list uh, because Buck O'Neill, I had a conversation with my college coach and I don't really know what it was, uh, what they discussed. And I don't know uh, why uh, it didn't proceed any further from there, but uh, how ironic could it be that I, I didn't get drafted by the Cubs and I wind up winning an MVP award for the Cubs. Right. It's kind of came full circle. It's funny how baseball works that way sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, 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 um, you know, I don't dwell too too much on uh, the fact of, well, you know, what didn't happen as a result of getting hurt in high school. I realized the damage was done very early on, but I was taught, you know, you react to it. That's going to be uh, the end result. How do you react to it? And my mindset from that point was, uh, putting my best foot forward, not cheating myself, not feeling sorry for myself, but just getting the best out of my ability. So the, the way Mel told the story is, you know, he saw you, he liked you, and then he kept it under his hat because he didn't want anyone else to know or find interest. And he called you like the day before the draft. I mean, did you have any idea that you were you know, about to embark on your professional career? Or you were kind of thinking, all right, I'll, I'll come back to Florida A&M for my senior year, you know, what was going through your head when, when Mel called you? That there's a chance. And my childhood dream may come to fruition. It's the only thing I ever really wanted as a kid growing up, to be given an opportunity to play professional baseball. And first of all, when I was invited to the tryout, I was like, wow, because, okay, I'm actually getting a look now uh, in a professional environment. And not knowing what the outcome was going to be, I was there with Clint Hurdle, a couple of other uh, local kids. And I really didn't know uh, from that standpoint where, uh, what direction I would go in. And then when, you know, mail called, I just said, well, obviously there's a chance. I just have to sit back, be patient, and I see what happens. Right. And the, I mean, the draft wasn't on TV or anything like that. So you just had to wait for the phone to ring, I guess. I got a call. The phone didn't ring. Actually, yeah, I got a call uh, from uh, Billy Adair, uh, who had scouted me down in Florida. And he was the one that alerted me that Montreal had drafted me in the 12th round. And he, from that point, wanted to know uh, what my thinking was, if I was 
uh, leaning towards signing and uh, playing professionally if I was going to go back and uh, forego uh, signing and go back and play my senior year. And for me, it was a no-brainer. It was like, hey, this is my big opportunity. Um, you know, let's get this done. And I'm excited. Let's let's get it rolling. Is it hard to sort of play that cool? I would imagine, you know, I mean, I, you know, I talk to draft prospects all the time and but I can't imagine just trying to play that off as, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Like, or were you just, yes, let's go. No, I was, yes, I'm, I'm ready to go. The, the toughest thing for me was going to be uh, confronting my college coach because I'm not sure he was aware at the time. And as soon as I got the call, uh, I went to his office and I told him what was going on and what my wishes were. And uh, he gave me uh, his blessings. He said, son, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. And, you know, we were excited to have you a part of this program for three years. Uh, again, you have my blessings and we wish you all the best. Well, you know, you, you continue to give back to the program. So uh, those blessings, I think you've paid back uh, tenfold. I wanted to ask you quickly, uh, we can't talk about it much because your minor league career was brief. You know, you went straight to AAA. You know, people who are fans of minor league baseball now, you know, that doesn't happen now. Like things are much, much different. But you went straight to Denver, hit, just hit like crazy. And we're in, you were in the big leagues like a year after you were drafted. And then you won rookie of the year the, the next year. At the time, that must have seemed really fast. When you look back in retrospect, is it kind of crazy? Especially because you've been around baseball for you know for so long as a player and then as an advisor, like it that is not typical. No, I actually I played two months initially in Lethbridge in the Pioneer League, and I was a Pioneer League Player of the Year. I broke uh, I think a few of Steve Garvey's records, uh, so I uh, missed a ball. I went to win a ball. I wasn't supposed to play and won a ball just to go get the exposure. A couple of players wind up getting hurt and I had to play and I wind up hitting over 300 mm -hmm. just two months out of rookie ball. So I missed, I missed a ball. Um, the, the following year I went to double a, I was leading the league and hitting in double a, uh, when there were some injuries in the big leagues and I got to go from double a to triple a and some players went up uh, from Denver to Montreal. I hit, 12 home runs in the first 14 games in Denver. And it was like, I, I'm saying to myself, no, uh, professional baseball cannot be this easy. Uh, you know, I had success, uh, but not quite like that, even in college. But I, uh, I looked at it in a sense like, okay, I, I guess I'm uh, seeing better pitching and more around the plate. And my ability uh, is just naturally taking over. Well, I got a quick awakening when I did get to the big league at the end of the season in Denver, uh, because now you're with the best of the best, the elite in the game. And uh, for the for the last month of the year, I did get to play on an everyday basis and uh, had marginal success, not a whole lot. I think I hit about 250, uh, but I was given the opportunity uh, the following spring to make the big league club and to break camp with the big leagues. And of course, the the rest is history. Four hundred homers, three hundred steals. Very select company. And Shryman in 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 the Hall of Fame. Let's kind of wrap this up by sort of bringing full circle to what you said at the beginning. And you mentioned yourself and, and Lou Brock. You know, not only are you in the Hall of Fame representing you know the Chicago Cubs and and of course the Montreal Expos, but as a product of an HBCU, uh, you know, 
with with this tournament coming up and your name attached to that um you know i, I don't want to ask the sort of same question about where your your pride level is but it sounds to me like that is as important of something that is attached to your name as as anything you've done in the game obviously you know for sure um they could have gone any direction they wanted to they could have left it as the um, Irvin Invitational. Uh, but uh, I just felt so deeply honored uh, to be able to have them reach out to me and honor me in this way. Uh, Lou Brock was, uh, he was ill at the time, and uh, it could have been both of us. But the fact that, and, and, and it didn't dawn on me, wow, uh, in the history of uh, Black College Baseball, we're the only two players to make it to the Hall of Fame. And you think about how many African-Americans are in the Hall of Fame, and we're the only two uh, that are from HBCUs. So I, I just, you know, said, uh, this is a blessing, obviously. And I look at it in that regard. And it's an honor. And I just, you know, this is something that I'll cherish along with anything that I've ever accomplished in the game. All right, Andre, really appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy the Andre Dawson Classic uh, coming up on February 18th, and uh, hopefully our paths will cross again sometime. Okay, thank you very much. All right, we'll be right back uh, after this break with more of the Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And thanks very much to Andre Dawson for taking out the time to talk to us before this weekend's Andre Dawson Classic. And, man, just an all-time great baseball player and just an all-time great dude, Andre Dawson. It's hard to, like, exude class through a Zoom conversation but he just the humility, uh, which is kind of how he carried himself as a, as a as a player, still stands out. And you know he speaks so passionately about what his experience at Florida A and M meant to him, and how important it is you know that he's able to kind of pay it forward. Uh, and you know for a guy who's accomplished as much as he has in the game, he's in the Hall of Fame. You know it was clear, as he said, you know at the end that the fact that major league baseball renamed the urban invitational to the Andre Dawson classic is one of the highlights because it's important for him uh, to, to continue to shine a light on, on not just Florida A&M, but all the HBCUs it, that, it, you know, it's not easy for them to, to get exposure. There've not been a ton of players uh, who have, you know, who, who have come from those programs and, and entered pro ball and, and made it to to the big leagues as as Andre sort of touched on. So uh, this is a great opportunity for for these young players on a you know a much larger stage uh, than they've they've played in you know in, in the past to uh, you know to to kind of step up 
uh, and uh, and show what they can do in front of a national TV audience. Yeah, so this year's Andre Dawson Classic, uh, Friday through Sunday, being held jointly at the New Orleans MLB Youth Academy and Maestri Field at uh, University of New Orleans. Um, this is, you know, in celebration of Black History Month. Uh, this tournament started back in 2008, and it was initially the, what, what was it initially called? The Urban now? Invitational. Urban Invitational. Um, this year, uh, four games each day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, with two of those games being broadcast on the network on Saturday afternoon, uh, what is it, 12 and 5 p.m. Eastern? No. It's, um, I think it's 2 and 6, two I Two and believe. 7 Eastern. I'm looking <laughs> at the schedule. I, I, okay. I will uh, yeah, definitively I'm, I'm, say 2 and 7 Eastern. You converted the uh, – oh, yeah, that's right. These are in uh, – you, you went the wrong direction you, yep. with, with your time conversion. So you uh, got Jackson State versus Southern at 2 p.m. Eastern on Saturday and Florida A&M, which will make Andre Dawson happy, versus Alabama State at 7 p.m. Uh, on Saturday. All right, and mixed in there uh, this weekend on the network, we'll also have the MLB4 tournament out in Scottsdale, Arizona, which, Jim, means you get to leave a snowstorm for the desert. If I make it out, like, like we'll see. I may have to fly out tomorrow, but the storm is supposed to be so bad. I'm skeptical that any flights will be leaving O'Hare Thursday morning if the storm's as bad as they say. And it, it brought me flashbacks. I'd forgotten about this, but at the last MLB4 tournament in 2020, even though we had a clear day, there was snow and ice because that's what you have in Chicago in the winter. Um, but it had not snowed that day and everything was clear. They canceled all the flights from ORD to Phoenix. and I had to drive to Milwaukee to get to Phoenix in time for the game. Because if I had waited to fly out of O'Hare, I would have not made it in time for the game, I would have arrived mid game and I'm glad I made it. Cause it was actually a tremendous game between Vanderbilt and Michigan in 2020. There, there was no LB before last year um, where, where Matthew Schmidt of Michigan, the son of then Rockies scouting director and current Rockies GM, Bill Schmidt, a great scout, great guy who was in attendance, uh, hit a dramatic ninth inning home run off of Vanderbilt's Tyler Brown, to uh, lead Michigan to a four-three victory, so it was a, uh, it was a, it was a tremendous game, um, and hopefully, I will make it to Phoenix without having to go to Milwaukee. Um, the, Milwaukee's going to hit by this storm Thursday, so Milwaukee's not going to be an option. And hopefully, we will have uh, well, we'll be broadcasting two games, and hopefully, they will live up to to how good the 2020 game was. Just drive to Arizona. Just get in the car now. Come on. Yeah, I know. Mid podcast. Uh, well, you know, and and I, I could sit there and 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 where I could I could get on the phone and, and and take notes on top thirty calls while I drive. Like it would, I could I could just focus on top thirty. Perfectly calls. safe and reasonable. To exactly. Exactly. This year's field in the MLB four: Cal, Houston, TCU, and San Diego State. So only uh, one ranked team. Uh, going in TCU uh, on the D1 baseball uh, rankings is number 17 entering the season. And you can see all four of those teams on Friday, uh, double header with Cal versus Houston and TCU versus San Diego state. Uh, what time are those games, Jim? 
locally at 1 and 5 p.m., which would translate into 3 and 7 p.m. Eastern. The always the always difficult Arizona time conversion because <laughs> Arizona does not partake in daylight savings time, so I can never keep track of of whether, whether they're one or, or two hours behind me here in, in the central time zone. As of now, it's one hour right now, two hours behind Eastern time. You know, only one ranked team there. And similarly, only one uh, player in our top 100 prospects, draft prospects list, uh, who will be uh, partaking in this tournament. But let's take a look. Why don't you guys tell us about uh, one player from each of these teams that we should be keeping an eye on in terms of their uh, draft status, draft prospect status. Uh, Jonathan, you want to lead us off here? Well, sure. I'll, I'll start with, uh, with the highest ranked guy, Dylan Beavers from, from California. Uh, and it, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, often we talk about college hitters and you kind of think, Oh, you know, you know what you're getting. Uh, maybe it's more of a higher floor. Uh, and then sometimes there are, uh, guys who have considerable upside, but with some risk. And Beavers definitely fits uh, that category. He's big, left-handed hitter, six foot four, runs well enough to play center field. He's got a close to plus arm though, so it would work in right. Um, ton of raw power, but a lot of moving parts to his his swing. Um, and there are some holes, and he got exposed a little bit over the summer. Didn't hit very well in the Cape. Uh, or with USA baseball. So there's a little bit of a question mark. So if he comes out and, you know, makes some adjustments and maybe simplifies some things with his, his swing path, then he's going to get to that power and he could put up some really good power speed, uh, you know, numbers, which are, you know, are always of interest. And I think he is the kind of guy, I mean, he, we ended up landing him at number 24 on our top 100. I think that if he comes out and hits and is making more contact, he is going to filter up just because of that power speed combination. Yeah, no, I think right. that, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jason. No, go, go, go ahead and follow up. I was going to send you on to the next guy, but I'm sorry. I, I was so eager to talk about Austin Crobb of TCU that uh, I, I could not wait. You know, he was a guy who just missed making our draft top 250 last year, a left-hander for the Horned Frogs. He transferred from Kirkwood, Iowa Community College to TCU um, in 2020 pitched out of the bullpen for the frogs um, and then had trouble throwing strikes in summer ball, but he got in better shape, became a pretty dependable starter. In fact, his, his last start of last season, he struck out a career high 13 and eight innings against McNeese state in the regionals. He was the type of guy who I think could have fit in the like fifth to 10th round range, but the sign of Billy didn't line up. So he went undrafted and he's a guy who, who relies very heavily on his slider. It could be a plus pitch with, with two plane break when it's on 82, 85, fastball will run anywhere from 89 to 95. It can strain out a little bit at times. So, the, so that's an issue he's got to work on. He's got a curveball and a sinking changeup to work the bottom of the strike zone. Um, and, and with him, you know, it, it's not outside of the slider. It's not overpowering stuff. So it, it comes down to location for him. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if when he gets to pro ball, because that slider is, is so effective, it, it works against right-handers too, because it, it's got so much depth. If he winds up being a lefty reliever in the long run, but for now he's a starter and he finished last season very strong. And I, you know, I, I think that's part of the reason he came back um, feeling like, Hey, if I can build on that, I'll, I'll go even higher in the 2022 draft. And, and we'll, and we'll see where that takes him, but we'll, we'll hopefully, I have not seen the, I don't know if the probable starters are announced yet, but I would assume we'll be seeing him on, fr on Friday 
when I'm doing the broadcast and, and looking forward to that. All right. And Jonathan, you have an Aztec for us? Yeah. Uh, Troy Melton, who, you know, he was on our draft. He did make our, our draft 250 last year. He, he ended up at 132. Um, and we touched on at the beginning of the show, these injured college pitchers who didn't have much track record. And that's one of the things that kind of held Melton back last year because he barely pitched you know, two and two thirds innings as a, as a freshman in 2019 threw well in 2020, but was only four starts in 22 and a third innings before the, the shutdown. So people were kind of interested to see, and he just did not, he didn't throw well uh, in, in 2021, um, you know, missed a decent amount of bats, but uh, gave up a ton of hits. The ERA was inflated. So that's uh, was kind of a reset button, wasn't drafted. So he's back at San Diego State and, uh, you know, maybe get a chance with a, after having had a full college season under his belt, seeing what he uh, can do and make some adjustments. There, there are some things to like here. Uh, you know, he's six foot four. Uh, there's some projection there. Uh, you know, he can get it up to, to 97 miles an hour. He, you know, sits more in the low nineties. Uh, he's shown a decent slider. He has some feel for a changeup. We'll even fold in a curve now and again. It just was really, really inconsistent last year. So uh, he gets to hit the reset button also. And uh, after sort of starting out as their Friday night starter, getting moved to midweek, and then he pitched his way back into the weekend rotation. So we'll see if sort of him ending decently will help him sort of hit the ground running this year. And, you know, he could be a guy that uh, creeps up boards if he goes out and, and finds some some consistency uh, in, in getting outs uh, as they, they go along in their season at San Diego State. All right, and Jim, who is a who's a cougar you'll have your eye on in this first broadcast on on Friday? Um, it will be a right-handed pitcher Logan Clayton, and and a year ago, Houston had a pitcher who kind of came out of nowhere. He transferred in from a, a California junior college, Robert Gasser, a left-hander who wound up going in the supplemental second round to the Padres. Um, and uh, you know he was he was Houston's best prospect a year ago, and Clayton's kind of hoping to follow that same path. He was at uh, the junior college of Central Florida before he got to um, before he got to Houston. Uh, before that, he, he spent a couple years at North Florida, so he's he's bounced around a little bit. Um, he pitched in the draft league last year, the inaugural season of the draft league, and you know he's interesting. He he's listed. You know, six five, one ninety two. So there's still some projection remaining in, in that frame, and he's you know kind of a sinker curveball guy. It's it's like a low nineties sinker with with really hard sink as it approaches the plate. He's got a, a low eighties curveball that when it's on can can be a pretty solid pitch. Um, again, I'm not sure if they're going to pitch him or Jacob Deese, who was a JUCO transfer in 2020 from Galveston community college, who's going to pitch the first game for them. But I think Clayton right now is considered the slightly better prospect between the two of those guys. All right. So again, Friday and Saturday on MLB network, MLB four and Andre Dawson classic, some good college baseball to get this season underway. All right. We have a question in the mailbag. It is not exactly college baseball related, but, what are we going to do? It, it does have a former college baseball player in the question. Uh, Kirk at Mr. Kirk 87 asks, 
who is the 2022 version of Alec Manoa, a polished mid-season pitcher call-up who is allowed to go deep in games and has swing and miss stuff, and Jim stole Jonathan's answer. See, it's, it's my week to do the pipeline inbox, so I was the one who solicited the questions, so I think that gives you me the this. right. I, I was I pounced on George Kirby, who who was one of my draft guys back in the day. Came out of Elon, yeah, first ever first round pick out of Elon in 2019. But uh, I, I and I think Jonathan agree. I, mean, I think he's kind of the most obvious choice. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, tremendous control at Elon. Um, didn't walk anybody in his pro debut. Uh, you know, I think you know like a five to one strikeout to walk ratio last year. Seven to one as a pro now in his career, and his stuff is really ticked up too. Like you know, it, it's now a, a mid nineties fastball that gets into the upper nineties. There's more power to the curve and slider. He he's always had good feel for changeup. So I, I think he's that 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 combination you love of stuff and polish. I mean, Jonathan. I mean, in a like in a vacuum, I'd almost, I mean, I think the stuff in the, and the polish are ready for the big leagues right now, but because he had some minor physical things last year, he only pitched 67 innings, um, only 26 above high A. So I don't think they're going to rush him to the big leagues, but if you put him in the opening day rotation, uh, I, I think he, he'd acquit himself well. So to me, I'm, I'm sorry. I poached a guy off one of your top 30 <laughs> lists, but like he was such an obvious choice. I didn't even have to do research when I saw yeah. the question. I didn't even look at our list. I was like, "Oh, that's George Kirby." So yeah, no, no, absolutely, and I agree with everything that you you uh, you said about him. And uh, and they also, I think that the the Mariners were being particularly uh, careful. You know, coming off of the the shutdown of not having guys get extended too much innings wise, even you know, especially with some some minor nicks here and there. But I, I think he absolutely could get big league hitters out right now. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, when spring training happens, if he comes in and, and is really impressive, it wouldn't surprise me and kind of starts forcing their hand and, but they could, you know, they could even start him at double a if they wanted to and, and, and give him a little time. So I think he is the, the perfect example for this. And I, you know, I was trying to find someone else who sort of would fit that bill um, in terms of midseason, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Nick Lodolo of the Reds with a with a caveat because he did have shoulder issues last year and there is some concern there. Um, if he's healthy, he definitely could you know be up sooner rather than than later. He has pitched at the upper levels, although not a ton in, in you know in in AAA uh, because of, of the the shoulder concerns. But because he's had such an advanced feel and he took a nice step forward last year when he was healthy, uh, that I could see him uh, coming up to Cincinnati uh, at some point when when there's a need, uh, uh, you know, in in that rotation. So uh, watch what he does in the spring and the early start if, of the season. If he's fully healthy and getting the ball every fifth day, I think he is a a prime example of a guy who's going to get called up at some point now whether it's may or whether it's july may depend on need and, and how he's doing but uh that, that's another guy who i think is probably just about ready to to knock on that big league door and I, I think i mean if you want a couple more names if uh mr kirk wants more names to look at because i don't think these guys will necessarily make opening day rosters you know I, the best pitching prospect in baseball grayson rodriguez i think we might see him around mid-season you know with the orioles 
and, and a couple other names I would just throw out there would be Matthew Libertor uh, with the Cardinals as one and, and Cole Wynn with the Rangers. These are all guys who, who have stuff, who have polish, um, who probably won't make opening day rotations, but, but, but could have a Manoa-like impact uh, this season. All right. Thank you, Mr. Kirk, for the question. Thank you, Mr. Dawson, for joining us. And thanks to all of you for listening. That's a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.